All right. And welcome in to another edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. It is the Turkey Day edition of the podcast. For us, we are recording on November 22nd. This is Not Just Another Sports Podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Live. With me is my co-host, Christian Amesworth. Christian, um, we sent a lot of Cowboys fans back to Texas or wherever they came from unhappy, but there's a lot of reasons to be really optimistic after another great win by the Chiefs. Yeah, lots to be thankful for, which is the theme of this podcast, right? Thankful, being thankful. Super thankful the defense showed up. Super thankful uh, Kelsey got over that drop. And thankful that we are sitting atop the AFC West, man. It just couldn't be better to be a Chiefs fan than right now. Yeah, you know, it's it's really hard to come away from any game like this, especially you got to go back, right? You got to go back about four weeks ago. There was a tweet going around wherever the Chiefs were struggling to beat the Giants that I think like James Palmer or someone for CBS put out where they said, these are the next four teams that the Chiefs face. And it was the Packers. It was the Raiders who were playing better. It was the Cowboys and everyone's like, oh gosh, this is, you know, this is a murderous row. And, you know, I saw several people say like, this is one and three, like they're, they'll be lucky to go one and three through that stretch. And they just went through that stretch four and oh, and that is, that's huge especially whenever you look at the, the structure of the NFL this year, where people are losing games left and right. I mean, you, the Titans lost to the Texans this week. The Bills lost to the Jags two weeks ago. I mean, you just you can't make it up at this point. So never apologize for a win. Never take anything for granted in this league. The Chiefs have strung some good wins together. And you know what? They're not all pretty. I, you know, we have this notion, this revisionist history in our head, where we think, oh, you know what? All of Tom Brady's Super Bowls were easy. And those seasons, they just cruised. No, I can't tell you how many times I've watched Tom Brady win 19 to 17 games on Thursday night football, ugly, where the defense bailed him out. They should have, the other team could have had it if they would have just caught that pick and they got lucky with injuries. That stuff happens all the time. Good teams take advantage of the opportunities that are there. You were talking about the defense, which is definitely the place we have to start with this game. But I do not put it past the Chiefs defense at all in the beginning of the year. This team, the Cowboys still would have put 20 up on them or more. They have Michael Gallup, Tony Pollard, Zeke Elliott. They would have had no hope against those guys. Dalton Schultz, even without Amari, even without C.D. Lamb. The Chiefs defense went and did what it's supposed to do against the depleted Cowboys offense. No Tyron Smith. And Frank Clark went nuts. Chris Jones had three and a half sacks against what might be a future Hall of Famer guard at times. He didn't face him all the time. The Chiefs defense did exactly what it's supposed to. And that means that the good teams take advantage of opportunities. And dare I say, the Chiefs are a good team. Yeah, good. And at this point, I think you could even call them a great team, especially with that defensive line playing as well as it possibly can. I mean, we said it a few weeks ago, right? Like the defense has to get pressure. We sounded like a broken record. Like, Chris Jones has to get pressure. Frank Clark is being paid all this money for what? We, we bring in Ingram that we could have signed in the offseason, but what big of a difference is he going to make? Uh, apparently, it's a big-ass difference because he came in here. I don't know what he said. I don't know what kind of fire he lit underneath Chris Jones and Frank Clark, but they have turned that defense around. And we have to give some credit to Steve, Steve Spagnolo. He implemented changes and they worked. And what else can you ask of the guy? I mean, we, we've seen it week after week, multiple times. We have our Arrowhead Live group chat while we're watching the game. There were multiple times where we were, they were driving down the field and, you know, the Chiefs would stall and, and punt the ball. And I go, okay, well, the defense can't hold them forever. Apparently they can. They held them to not a single touchdown on Sunday. So, yeah, the defense, like you said, we have to start talking about them more. And where else can we go with it? The offense, I think, did okay. And, and I think the Chiefs offense, if that's the worst thing about the Chiefs right now is the offense, we're in a pretty good spot. I think they will find their way. Certainly, certainly. And I think that you're right. You know, if there's, we've said all along, even going back to before the Raiders game, there's one side of the ball that we have the most long-term confidence in. It is the offense because there's, you know, three Hall of Fame level players on that side, not including a Hall of Fame level coach who has proven time and time again over the long term to be elite offensively. 
And remember, they don't have to be number one. They just have to be towards the top. So that's still something that's reassuring. And, you know, I want to kind of go back to something a little bit. This is, I mean, this is enough of a trend to say that this Chiefs defense is for real. To me, this started, even though we go back a little bit, this started the second half of the Bills game. There was that rain delay. It was a miserable game. Nothing was going well for the Chiefs. But in the second half of that game, they started playing Nick Bolton more. They started blitzing more, and things started to turn around a little bit. The Bills didn't really have much success in that game. In the second half, but you can chalk that up to, oh, you know, they were just, they put the playbook on hold. The game was out of hand, yada, yada, yada. That's fine. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. That's where I felt like the corner started to turn. Then you had 31-13 over Washington football team. That game looked scary there for a little bit, but in the end, it was a lapper. 27-3 to the Titans. That was an ass-kicking, but most of that was on the offense. 27 points against, you know, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown at the time. Not shameful. Also, that game was a lot of big shots. I, you know, that can happen. And, and don't get me wrong, this defense isn't so good that 27 is out of the question again. That can definitely happen. But since that time, the Giants game, the Packers game, the Raiders game, this defense has come together in the last four to five weeks. And I just want to talk about what brought this defense together. How did it go from, and I mean, this defense was on pace to be truly one of the worst defenses of all time. And that's not hyperbole in yards allowed and everything. So, I mean, you brought up Melvin Ingram. I, I think the number one place that you have to start with this defense and how it's transformed is the pass rush. Melvin Ingram has been huge, but not just that. What Melvin Ingram's allowed them to do is to put Chris Jones on the inside. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Chris Jones playing on the inside is a good thing. Point in case last week. Frank Clark's getting healthier. And then wouldn't you know it, when Chris Jones kicks inside, Jaron Reed starts becoming a factor. Even Tershawn Wharton was making a few plays in the run game this week. Every, you know, it is the tide that raises all boats. If the Chiefs' defense has been structured around pass rush, when it gets pass rush, it's much better. The next thing, you got the defense, um, the linebacking core, Nick Bolton playing more, even though he's still getting out snapped by Anthony Hitchens. That's a little predictable just because of the positions that they both play. Um, you know, Willie Gay made a play in that game with uh, Ezekiel Elliott where they put a pass on the flat that they gained zero yards. And I don't think any Chiefs linebacker since Derek Johnson makes that play. And then the secondary, it's been well documented that Juan Thornhill taking the snaps away from Daniel Sorensen, putting Fenton in the lineup more. Ward coming back, who had a fantastic interception that game. And I was talking about it today on Twitter. You know, we, we are vocal about Brett Beach's shortcomings, but Legereus Sneed has to be Brett Beach's best pick overall, in my opinion. A fourth-round corner who is truly one of the best corners in the game right now in all aspects, not just coverage, not just takeaways, physicalness and the run game. I mean, that all those things came together, personnel and scheme and a trade that took this defense from worst to like one of the best in the NFL in four weeks. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of touched on it here, but really there was a lot of disappointment surrounding the defense early in the season. And I think part of that was because we didn't really know where their ceiling was, right? Like, we had seen them the past year and they played okay. And we retained, you know, most of our starters, but by no means were they elite. But over these past couple of weeks, like you said, with the pass rush, with Sneed playing better, with Ward coming back from injury, with Willie Gay and Nick Bolton seeing more time on the field, we've seen this defense transform from what we thought could maybe peak at like 15 out of 32 to like maybe 10 out of 32. and seeing that and seeing you know there are other defenses in the league that they they've played well they haven't played that good you, you don't see those teams as as Super Bowl contenders I think you can finally look at the Chiefs now this season if you're just looking at this season in a vacuum and say this could be a championship Super Bowl caliber team and I'll give praise to the defense and we can talk about the special teams too it just seems like every decision they're making is working and starting. I mean, I mean, it's pretty hard to go down from where they were being one of the worst defenses in NFL history, but all of the, all of the changes that they've made 
have improved this defense. Taking Mike Hughes off the field for Fenton, getting Ward back in. I mean, just putting Daniel Sorensen off the field. Like there, there are a million different things that they've done over this season that has just transformed them. And kind, kind of turning back here, I'll talk a little bit more about the special teams first. But the, the special teams, did, were you watching the same game I was? It seemed like three weeks ago, there, there was no hope for the special teams. Like Mike Hughes was dropping punts. McCole Hardman was making you anxious every time he touched the football. And both of those things can still be true. But the special teams unit overall has made some strides as well. Like Marcus Kemp, man, he might not be a great wide receiver. He may never start for the Chiefs. But he's a hell of a special teams player. Mike Hughes, Byron Pringle. These guys are making plays on special teams. And when you talk about playing all three phases of all three phases of the game, and, and seeing the peaks of what these guys can be, they could legitimately be one of the best special teams groups in the league. We've seen the defense. They can be one of the best defenses in the league. Now, granted, short, short span, but we've seen their peak. I think that they're, this team is trending upward, and I think that they are in position to make a Super Bowl run, especially late this season. What about you? Does, does it feel crazy to say that the special teams could be a top three special teams unit in the league or no I don't at all and first off I mean Dave Tobe gets a lot of shit when he doesn't deserve it um he's statistically been the greatest special teams coordinator in all of the NFL consistently has one of the top ranked special teams units in football the Chiefs. it's not crazy to say that the Chiefs are a good DVOA or a good team because special teams team sorry for redundancy but they're the number one team in DVO, DVOA on special teams. The, the team that second is Baltimore. Their head coach is literally a special teams, former special teams coordinator. The thing is about special teams, and actually I, the, I'm humble brag here for a second. I read a book called Gridiron G- Genius. Um, the book is written by, hold on, let me remember. Gridiron Genius is a book. It was written by Michael Lombardi, and it's about Bill Belichick and um, – it talks a lot about what the best coaches in the NFL value. And it talks um, about Nick Saban, Bill Belichick. And um, it talks a lot about how special teams are one of those things that get so taken for granted. Bill Belichick talks about how every player takes special teams reps on his teams and how he believes in Bill Walsh and all those guys, they all put so such an emphasis on it. And if you think about it, it's really the forgotten phase in, in the NFL. So oftentimes we just think about offense versus defense, matchup, matchup, matchup. But it, it doesn't matter until it does. And special teams is very much that way. They, it can absolutely break your back as a team if special teams are giving up and not converting on opportunities, making field goals. Special, uh, you know. And one of the things that I would point to about the Chiefs special teams that is always so good is the coverage on kickoff and punts. They almost never give up a huge return. And when they do, it's very, 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 very rare. Also, another thing is a couple of years ago, they were having a ton of penalties on those uh, you know, returns in the punt and kick game. They really have limited those. They always have some sort of plan too. You know, they don't, it's not like Madden where you just kick off left, kick off middle, run down, tackle the guy. They have a plan when they kick the ball off. And sometimes Butker will just boom it through the back of the end zone if there's a good guy back there for returns. But if it's a team that they feel like they can get some advantage, he'll short kick it. And then they're down there and there's a swarm of red jerseys waiting for the returner at the 10 or 15 yard line. And they gain, you know, 5, 10, 15 yards of field position. They do that all the time. Tommy Townsend had, you know, two weeks ago, he was the AFC special teams player of the week for an epic gaming game of punting. They have the tricks to Tommy Townsend, you know, has thrown the ball well a couple of times. The pooch kick was perfectly executed by Harrison Butker. And Nick Allegretti, who apparently got a free release and was down there, made a great play on it. And then Tommy Townsend was there as well. Like, those are the last two guys that you would expect to be down there making the play. You know, we have long ridiculed um, McCole Hardman in the return game, and that makes a lot of sense. He's boomer bust. I still would like to see someone else back there, but they had a little play going on in the Raiders game before that Mike Hughes fumble. If that fumble doesn't happen, we're talking about that as well because they had two guys back there. 
what Dave Tobe does is he adds something to a part of a team that a lot of people don't take advantage of. And I'll tell you, you know, if you look at these DVOA stat uh, standings, there's a lot of teams who are really good football teams. We're all up here. Chiefs are number one. Baltimore's number two. Buffalo's number three. Cleveland number is number four. Arizona's number five. New England's number seven. Like, good teams have good special teams. It's not a coincidence. No, not at all. And also, there's a reason that kickers score the most points on these NFL franchises. Having Steven Gotzkowski, I think that's how it's pronounced, as your kicker for New England, is one of the great. He's one of the greatest kickers of all time, and it's a luxury that, I mean, you you have to afford. He didn't go down there and miss field. How many times did Brady win a game on a field goal? He he got the guy within field goal range. They kick it as three points. That's the end of the game. Hundreds of times. There there are many times that his legacy, you could say, was saved from a kicker, and. As good as Tom Brady is, as good as Patrick Mahomes is, having that kicker that you're confident in, that you can drive down the field, and you know what, I don't have to force anything because we're going to get points here. That's something that you can't calculate in the stat sheet. It, it won't show up in the box score, but having that reassurance in the back of your mind, knowing, you know, it, it's the same thing with the defense. I mean, all three phases work together and and have an effect on one another having a defense again that like you can trust that hey i don't have to score here we my defense will, will stop they'll hold them to three having a kicker you know what i don't need a touchdown i can kick it you know we, we can get down there as long as we get within 50 or 60 yards I'll ki- our kick will, will be able to to kick it in exactly like, and i mean when it comes to special teams too you talked about it guys like marcus kemp we we get annoyed around roster cut down time about those guys, but Marcus Kemp was actually on the COVID list this week and Doris Fountain came in and made a couple of plays in coverage as well. So the ability yep. for players to step up, it matters. Um, going back to, you know, all three phases is the offense back is the real question. You know, after the 41, 14 game, we got all excited about the chiefs offense and thinking that it could be back to its full force. I think in this game, there still were some pickups there. Some of the one thing that I will just caution us, you know, it's fun to retweet the fun videos and see the Chiefs dancing. And it, I mean, if you had to ask me, I'm thinking the Chiefs are 90, 90% back, but the offense still is just not the same. I do firmly believe that the NFL to an extent has figured out the Chiefs offense. There's just no, there's just no arguing with it at point. You know, it, I'm glad that you said that. I am so happy you said that because that is not a narrative that is shared throughout red kingdom right now so kudos that I, I just wanted to point that out great take well yeah i mean it it, it just is it it depends on where you want to call the starting point i'll call the starting point you know from mahomes's first season that was the year that they were statistically one of the greatest offenses of all time that was your greatest show on turf they could go up and you know if they weren't scoring 30 you were wondering what was wrong and then the next year, Mahomes got hurt. It's understandable. But they, they regressed a little bit, but still a fantastic offense. You know, they scored 50 in a playoff game. That's a good offense. The next year, they were pretty solid, but super tilty and hell dependent. And you saw at times that they came, that came back to bug them. And then this year has really been the step back offensively. Teams are starting to figure out, you know, I'll give Jeffrey Chidea some credit he does some great stuff on Sports Radio 810 and with Seren Petro and the Border Patrol as well. Um, he talked about the fact that these turnovers that the Chiefs have, they're not turnovers, they're takeaways. Now, he's a de- he was a former defensive back in college, so obviously he's going to be a little bit more pro-defense. But he brings up the fact that part of the reason why every tip ball goes into a defender's hand is because the defenders know where to be now. They know the tendencies. They know the little things. They know when Mahomes breaks right, Kelsey likes to do this, and they're right there. Or they know this RPO is going across the middle of the field, and they're right there when Kelsey drops the ball or whatever. Now, do I think that the offense still has the potential to be one of the top five, ten in the league? Yeah, sure. And I think they're right there. You can't tell me that Kelsey and Hill and Mahomes and then obviously getting Clyde Edwards-Alaire back helped this offensive line. They're, the pieces are all there. But the offense is just, to me, it's never going to be what it was before. I, and, and that's okay. You know, this is not necessarily about having to be the most dominant team on every level. 
you just need contributions from all three levels. At this point, I think what the Chiefs are is good, but just know that sometimes good teams and good defenses have to go out and out or compensate sometimes. You know, the, the Patriots were known for having great defenses, but there were some of those years that Tom Brady had to go out and win games 38-30 like he did the AFC Championship against the Chiefs. Or, um, you know, the Super Bowl where they lost to Nick Foles. That defense was terrible for the Patriots. And that's part of the reason why Nick Foles beat him. So, I'm, you know, there's bad games coming for this defense. It's just a fact. Even though they are playing much, much better, you feel better about that. But the Chiefs, as long as the Chiefs offense can go and get it, I feel like overall I still feel confident. They're not entirely back to me. And part of it is just the drops. There are so many drops and penalties that just keep rearing their ugly head. But – you know, there's, there's a lot of reason for optimism for sure. Oh yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you when you say that the chiefs offense isn't back, but I, I guess I disagree with you a little bit when it comes to how it can be fixed or, or maybe the diagnosis of why it's that way. And, and I'll point to the first 15 plays of this past game. When the chiefs played on script, they were incredible. I mean, you saw it, they came out 16 points in the first three drives defense got to stop, you know, that helped a little bit, but the offense worked really well. We were running the ball. I mean, they even Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. I mean, however much you hate them, they were they were pretty good when they were talking about how balanced the offense was early in the game and running the ball and, and passing the ball. We know Andy loves to pass the ball. He'll, he'll never one hundred percent commit to the run, but you have to be more balanced than what we were. And I think you saw that late in the game. And once we got off script, once we once they, we got out of those first two quarters. We didn't score, but maybe three points. And I think a lot of that is because we just didn't run the ball. We would, even on that final drive, I remember specifically, there was two minutes and 52 seconds left on the clock. And we threw three straight passes in the lead. Why? Because we want to throw the football. Because Patrick Mahomes feels like he's got to make some deep plays. And he's a quarterback. He wants to throw the football. Andy Reid is a a pass-first offensive coordinator turned head coach. He wants to throw the football, but when we step away from the run and we do things like that, it makes it harder on ourselves to, to actually stay in games and to get more points. The good part about that is, though, that's 100% fixable. I think that, you know, we're a little shaky at wide receiver, too, but we have the personnel. This offensive line is incredible. The quarterback is great. The, the wide receiver and tight end combo is the best in the league. I don't think you can you can uh, contest that at all. We have the personnel, we have the players, we have a great running back core to be able to get out of this rut. It's just, will Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes come to that decision on their own, or are they going to have to be forced through losing and other things to, to make that decision? And I think that we do. I think that the rest of the season, I think we drop a few head scratchers, but I think we're on the up. I think the offense is going to put, be playing much better. I think we'll start running the ball more and everything will be great. We just, we just have to get back to the run game. I mean, and that's hard to say for an Andy Reid, Kansas I mean, City I'll, Chiefs team, but I'll counter you a little bit here. The Chiefs ran the ball 26 times in this game. That's a lot for the Chiefs. I, here's the thing, the, the running the ball, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It is so easy. It reminds me of baseball a little bit. Where they're like, oh, okay, okay. They got Bueller up in the in the bullpen. He's gonna come in. All right, yeah. Bueller's been good. Bueller comes in, walks the bases loaded, and gives up a three uh, a grand slam. Oh, they should have went to Thompson in the bullpen, not Bueller. It's so easy to revisionist history. The run. Here's the thing: the run. The Chiefs are running the ball quite a bit. Are there teams that run the ball more? Of course there are, but I. Here's the thing. They run the ball 26 times. I'm inclined to think that they're giving the run the fair shot. I think the thing that's a little frustrating is the sequencing of the running to which you were referring to, you know, a, a set where they, you know, ran the ball three times. To me, the thing that stood out to me the most, and I'm not going to go through here and read the whole uh, play-by-play of the game, but the Chiefs were constantly in third and long in this game, whether it be play calling, holding. It seemed like Every time they started to get going, they they did something to themselves, whether it be a penalty, a drop, a sack. You know, clearly Micah Parsons was a, a, a nightmare for the Chiefs offensive line all night. But man, I 26 times is a lot. I, I, I'm and keep in mind, some of those are 
sweeps to Hill or Hardman, and probably one of the two of those is to Mahomes, and one of those is a Kelsey touchdown. But I, I think the thing is too is that I would just like to see the Chiefs continue to utilize the the trap and the power more with Ceh and Daryl up the middle. That is what they do well. Every time they do it, they get more yards than I expect them to get. And it was like a light switch. The minute Ceh came back, they started running more of that stretch stuff. You saw that they went to the option twice. One time it worked really good where Clyde Edwards Elaire um, got kids hooked on drugs by pointing at somebody and, you know, wrecked children's childhoods because he pointed at someone, but they went right back to it. So I, you know, just put CEH downhill. That is the way I want to see that. But the run game, I, I'm, I'm 50-50 on it. Well, yeah, they ran 26 times, which is a lot for the Chiefs, but they were averaging almost five yards a carry. And I understand – Tyreek Hill had one carry that was like, I don't know, 30 yards or something crazy like that. Outside of that, I mean, it, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I'm looking at the stats right now, 12 carries for 63 yards, averaging 5.3 yards a carry. It, and I agree with you, this is a little bit of revisionist history. There might have been some heavier boxes than, than we were used to seeing that game. But when you're averaging five yards a carry, you run the football all night. That, that's just the way it has to be. I know we're a, a pass-first football team, but come on, five yards a carry? But, that, that's I mean, mad like here's, stats. Here's, yeah, but here's the thing about running the ball, and this is the thing. When you throw the ball, right, incomplete, incomplete, 15 yards, first down. Five yards, eight yards, incomplete, new set of downs. That's how passing the ball goes. Running the ball goes like this. Eight yards, three yards, three yards, two yards, two yards, negative one yard or whatever running just has such a low ceiling that yes when you when you do the math and you average oh they're carrying five yards a, a pop but that doesn't that's not how it goes and yes i understand there's some 12s in there and there's some 14s in there but the five yards per it, it's really easy whenever you see that number to say oh okay well they got to run it more but it's really what happens is is you know first down comes in it's first and ten Clyde Edward Delaire up the middle, two yards. Okay, so now it's second and eight. Well, run the ball. You're running at five yards a pop. Okay, he runs it again and they stuff it, and now it's third and nine. Are you gonna you can't run it again? It's third and nine, you know, and I it it's just the way that it sequences. I it it I, I keep coming back to this because this is kind of where I learned this lesson. It was the playoff game against the Titans back when it was Alex Smith and Kareem Hunt. And Chiefs fans were ready to fire Andy Reid because he didn't run the ball enough with the league's leading rusher in Kareem Hunt. But Seth Kaiser did a play-by-play breakdown of it in an article. And he talked about the Chiefs actually ran the ball a lot in the second half. You just didn't like the results of what happened. And then there was a couple of times that, you know, it's third and one or whatever. It's the sequencing that 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 really stands out to people. Oh, yeah. And that, that definitely plays a part. But I think that you have to go back to the run opens up the pass. That, that's just automatic any offense if anybody anybody had any head coach will tell you that running opens up the pass and when you can't pass the ball effectively I mean Patrick Mahomes didn't have a passing touchdown and that's not for lack of trying they threw the ball what was it uh 37 times so you you have to help your quarterback out and when you're running at five yards a clip I just think that that's something that has to be automatic I mean Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator for a reason run the ball but we, we can agree to disagree on that. All right, real quick, let's do. Um, let's let's pick our record for the Chiefs for the rest rest of the season. So the schedule goes as follows: after the bye, Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, Steelers, Bengals, Broncos. Two with the Broncos, one with the Raiders, one with the Chargers. AFC North: Steelers and Bengals. So that is a total of quick math tells me that's six, six games. games. Yep. What do you have them going in this last six game stretch? I think it's obviously I, I'm a homer. I have to pick the Chiefs are going to be above 500, although I think they're going to drop a few head scratchers here. I, I could see them losing to Cincinnati. I could see them losing to Pittsburgh. Just as those games that you go, man, they, they just didn't come to play. I, I do think that they'll do well. I, I think they're going to win out the rest of the division. That Chargers game is going to be a tough one, but Man, I just I just don't see them losing more than two games. What about you? Yeah, I'm the same. I, I think that they lose one more. Um, I I think that they're going the, – the Raiders are done. They're cooked. 
I think that they will, you know, could I see them losing a game to the Broncos? Yes, but their offense is so limited, man. I, I don't see it with the Broncos. That defense isn't playing up to the expectations that a lot of people had for it. I think that they might drop one between the Steelers or the Bengals. I think they win the Chargers game. I think that they're going to realize that, you know, depending – and, I mean, this is one thing to keep in mind, too. We're we're high and mighty right now with the Chiefs. But this bye week, if things break us – there are certain scenarios where the Chiefs can go from being the three seed to the seven seed if certain teams win. You know, a lot can change in a bye week. That's one thing that the Chiefs have had on the schedule right now is they had a late bye, so they have one more win than a lot of teams could have. Like, there's a chance that the Chiefs – if the Chargers win this week, the Chiefs won't win, lead the AFC anymore. They'll be out of the lead for the AFC West. So the division, while the Chiefs are, um, you know, let's see, they are currently 62% to win the division title, according to PFS power rankings, whereas the Chargers are 28%. It's still possible. So I think they'll come out really hyped up for that Thursday game, but it is Thursday on the road, always hard. Um, but yeah, I, I've got them going five and one, which will bring them home at... Hold on, 12 and 5, right? Yeah, 12 and 5. Yeah. The math is good this tonight, dude. Good yeah, job. It's, it's sharp. Game ball. Who's your game ball going to? It's got to go to Chris Jones, man. I, I can't even – there's a case to be made for Snead, but Chris Jones, come on. He lined up against every single one of those offensive linemen, Zach Martin included, and dominated all night. I mean, you've seen the stat line. It, if you haven't yet, Go look it up and compare it to every other defensive tackle's averages over the past four years. It's an outstanding game and probably his best game as a Kansas City Chief. So exactly. Chris Jones, yeah. game ball. Yeah, one of us had to do it for sure. And you know what? I will I will go cliche. I'm going to take Legereus Sneed. Um, it's, it's not just about what he does in coverage. It's not about the game ceiling interception. It's about how he plays. The entire defense has just become a bunch of bullies, and I love it. They're aggressive. They're nasty. They lay the hammer down. That play that he made on Michael Gallup on that wide receiver screen where he just threw him down is like some WWE stuff. He brings the hammer. People don't want to get hit by him. And the value of getting him in the fourth round, tremendous pick, tremendous player. Lock him up as soon as possible. Um, absolutely. Legereus need game ball. Dude. He was a highlight reel last night. I mean, absolutely. absolutely insane. Like, even that hit on Prescott, where he didn't go for the tackle, he slapped his arm. That's a veteran move. That, that's something you don't learn as a rookie. And by no means is he where he could possibly be. But my God, I don't think anybody expected him to be here. For sure. All right. So we're um, since it is the bye week, we're going to take this opportunity to talk a little bit more broad in um, NFL topics. We might even talk some NBA next week, depending on if we get a guest on or not. So we are going to do a little uh, stocks today or crypto. Crypto is trendy, which, by the way, side side note, NFTs are the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I don't care what you say. It, it makes zero sense. It's the new wave, man. I didn't think Doge was going to be anything either. I think you got a double now. No, dude, here's the thing. Watch a YouTube dude, video, figure out how it works, and then put your life savings in it. I, here's, here's all I'm saying, okay? You can do this with cash too. Like, oh, look, I have a $100 bill. No, you have a piece of paper that tells you it's worth $100 and society has decided it's worth $100. But it truly is a piece of paper. If you explain an NFT to someone and they laugh at you, the minute you hear it, there's a good chance, like, there's a good chance. I'm, I'm just saying, like, the dollar, it's something that's super established, right? Like, it's here. Same with stocks, right? When a new company comes out, their stock is really cheap. They're like the penny stocks. You learn about that in, like, the Wolf of Wall Street, right? But, like, Apple, a big company, it's an established stock. It, there's, a, there's a track record. NFTs, is there value? Are there people making money, money off of it? Yeah, of course there are, Right. But the NFTs could also be that thing that tomorrow we all laugh at. And it was like, oh, my God, could you believe that that was a thing? You know, like, it, I don't know. It, I'm not going to get into it. If you're, making, if you're making bank on NFTs, good for you. And I hope you, you make good use of that non-fungible token. But meanwhile, yeah, and please DM I, me. Please, please DM yeah, me if and you're then, making meanwhile, hundreds I can of thousands literally of dollars. Scream, like, the, there was some player in the draft that made an NFT on draft night that he sold. And like, I literally just took a screenshot of it and like, look, I have it. Like, yeah, I have the NFT. And I know that that has to make the NFT bros so mad. 
but I don't even care because it's so stupid. It's so dumb. Okay. <laughs> anyway, going back to the other dumb thing, I've at least done this, the, the crypto, okay? I, I'm a little bit more aware to the crypto. Um, so whether it's crypto or real stocks, we're going to be doing this with NFL teams. So we're going to pick, we only get to pick one to, of each. So we get to pick one to buy, one team that you're buying, one team that you're selling, one team that you're holding. This is not groundbreaking stuff, but we cannot pick the same team. So you can't pick the same team as me. Um, I'll let you go first because I feel like I always go first. You can choose which way you want to do. If you want to hold a team first, if you want to sell a team, you want to buy a team, it's up to you. All right. Well, I think I'm going to sell oh, a hold team on. first. Within reason. Don't be like, I'm selling the Jags. Okay, like, come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> well, like, no. Yeah, yeah we've been selling be the Jags since week one. You've got to be reasonable. Okay, well, I'm going to sell a team because I think it's hit its peak value. This is classic microeconomics here. You buy low and sell high. I'm selling high on the Patriots. I do not think they have the roster to continue on the ascension that they're headed. I think Mac Jones is a good quarterback, an average quarterback or maybe a below average quarterback. And I think people are getting swept up in this mania of, of Patriot nation and, and they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to win the East. And dude, listen, people are going to get swept up in crazy stuff like NFTs and the Patriots all the time. Take advantage of dumb people. I'm selling the Patriots. I'm making my money and I'm, I'm doubling down somewhere else. I really respect that opinion. That might be one of the best opinions you've had on this podcast because people are getting so swept up in shit that happened a long time ago and Tom Brady's Patriots and I'm, I'm here to tell you, Mac Jones, though he might be chunky and white and gangly and not athletic, he's not Tom Brady. There's, there's only one of those. They broke the mold. Okay. Now, here's the thing. You can look at their schedule a little bit here and kind of, you can create some narratives, right? So they play the Titans this week. They're actually favored in this game, by the way. You can look at it and say, Titans are broken. You know, they're super injured. Or you can look at the Titans and say, they lost a game that they shouldn't have lost. In the divisional, it was rainy, crappy game. They'll get it together and beat the, you know, they'll be a formidable opponent. Then they play the Bills twice. Well, you can look at the Bills and say, like, well, they just lost to the Colts and they lost to the Jags a couple weeks ago. Or you can look at the Bills as the team that came into Arrowhead and Molly Watt, the Chiefs. They play the Colts. That's obviously a good team. And then they got the Jags and Dolphins. But I agree with that. I You are selling high. I do not think that they are as good as they look. They have, you know, fattened up on Baker Mayfield and the Falcons and Sam Darnold. Um, you know, they've beat some good teams too. They beat, you know, they came close to beating the Cowboys. They did beat the Chargers, but you know, I, I agree with that. That is classic selling high. Um, I think the team that I, and man, I might be breaking my own rule here, but I feel like this is the lowest they're ever going to be. It's an established stock. It's a stock that, a lot of people are talking about, but it's at the lowest it's going to be. I'm going to buy it on the Bucks. Here's why. You know, some people are talking about, you know, are the, are the Packers the best team in the NFC? Maybe it's, maybe it's the Cowboys. The Bucks just lost to the Washington football team, but they have been super injured. They're getting Sean Murphy bunting their cornerback. Uh, Rob Gronkowski is playing in Monday Night Football. Antonio Brown should be back soon. Um, they, they will get it together. They will be the team to beat in the NFC. I have zero doubt of that. The offensive line is healthy. Vita V had like a small injury. He should be back. That pass rush will come back together. I have every confidence in the world that the that they are going to be the team to beat in the NFC. Like I said, it's a little bit breaking my own rule because like you're like, well, the Bucks. I mean, no one's out on them, but they have lost two games in a row. They are pretty injured. The defense is a sieve. The defense will turn it around. I guarantee you that this team is going to be the team that We'll be the team to beat in the NFC. Yeah. And I got to agree with you. They're beating the Giants right now as we speak, 17-10 at halftime. So they are on the rise beating these, you know, awful NFC teams. Um, if I have to hold, and, and I don't know if I want to yet, and I guess that's really the spirit of what holding is, indecision. I don't know where the stock is going to go. I got to go with the Cardinals. Like, how many times can your quarterback be injured in a season and not only your quarterback, but his number one wide receiver. Like I know we, I have been super high on them all season, but 
isn't doesn't it kind of feel like they're in this weird spot where like I mean you're pretty sure they're gonna win the division right but the Rams just signed OBJ like you're you're pretty sure that they're gonna get the one seed but there are other teams up and coming like Dallas is still close enough the Packers are going on a roll like I just don't know where to place them and I don't think that your main mobile quarterback being injured and your number one wide receiver uh, also being injured is a recipe for playoff success so in the history of all players no players have gotten healthier as the season has gone on or the has they've aged so I got a hold on the Cardinals I I just don't think I don't don't know where to go with right the Cardinals I mean, I think it's been impressive that they've went two and one while their quarterback is out. Um, but the Cardinals do feel a little bit like the team that gets the one seed and then just gets like upset the first week, you know, of the playoffs that yeah. they play. Um, just because of just the way that their season is gone. They're the classic worst to first team that is fed off of kind of a, a low t- low tier schedule. They have played the twelfth hardest schedule so far, have the twenty fourth hardest schedule remaining. But they're at eighty-two percent to win the division title, so you feel like they—you know—they've already got one game in hand against the Rams, so you feel pretty good about that. But yeah, it, it's definitely a wait and see situation. I am going to hold on the Baltimore Ravens. Here's my thinking: the Ravens have a really tough schedule ahead of them. They've got two games against the Steelers, two games against the Browns. They've got another game against the Bengals. That division is very much up in the air because those teams are going to beat up on each other. And, you know, I, they have been getting by and getting by and getting by. There's just so many games that they should have lost that they won. Oh, and they have a game with the Packers and the Rams in that too. But they went out and won with their backup against the Bears, which by the way, fire Matt Nagy yesterday. Jesus, I, I, I'm not pretending that I could do a better job, but I don't know if I could do a worse job. Um, And, you know, could I see the, Bra- the the Ravens really struggling through this stretch? Yes. Also, I could see them beating the Browns twice and beating the Steelers twice and then pick one or two against the Packers, Packers and um, Steelers and the Rams. I, you know, the Ravens are just one of those teams that they do the little things well. We, we talked about their special teams. We talked about the fact that, you know, Lamar Jackson adds an element to this offense that no other offense has. And, you know, Sammy Watkins made some big plays in that game late this week. They've got Lamar Jackson coming back. Rashad Bateman's getting in the offense more. Mike, Mark Andrews con- is continually getting and getting more healthy and getting better. Um, you know, I, I could see a situation that they come through and really break out and, you know, are the number one seed. I think the number one seed's still up for grabs. And then I can also see a situation where they limp home, you know, going 500 or worse in this last little stretch. So I'm going to hold on them. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to be with them, especially with all their injuries. And I mean, and Lamar Jackson's illness, like, what's all that all about? I, I know it's not COVID, but we don't know how long he's going to be out. I would assume he'd be back this week, but it just the situation just seems so weird. It's kind of hard to hard to place where they're going to be or what they're going to do. And I guess for me, for my last one, I have to buy, and I'm going to stick in the AFC East here. I'm going to buy because their stock is low and that's the bills. And Josh Allen has regressed a little bit. We all expected that he would, he, he, there was no chance that he was going to put up the same type of numbers he made last year. I think they have a good running back core. I think their defensive and offensive lines could, could use some work, but I think that they're good enough to make an AFC championship game or get the two seed. I I certainly think they're going to win the division. So I gotta, I gotta buy low on the bills here. I just think that they've got, a higher ceiling than the Patriots. And I think that they will be better than the Ravens by the time the season is over. So, you know, if it wasn't for you picking a team that I had already used, or if you, if you didn't choose this team, I was going to choose the bills as myself. And here's the reason why the thing that the bills struggle with are all things that are looming ahead for them. They are a, they are one of those teams that have spent so much time trying to become the future of what the NFL is that they missed what the present is. There was a long time here that the NFL was based about based around the run, defending the run, establishing the run, big burly offensive linemen, big backs, et cetera, et cetera. And then the, the offenses started getting more quick, more out to the perimeters. And they just, 
took advantage and abused these big linebackers that were meant to defend the run. And the Bills just kept going. And they're one of those teams that was really kind of following the trajectory where we are just going to be a defense that is completely focused on defending the pass and just pass rush, defending the run, not so much. Same with the offense. Their offense does not run the ball well. Their offensive line is not physical. And they just throw the ball and throw the ball and throw the ball to players out on the perimeter. They don't have that uh, tight end that can eat up the middle of the field. And they've got two games left against the Patriots. We saw what the Colts did to them. The, the Bills are a team that I feel like, I don't, I hate using this term because we we'll scoffed at it with the Chiefs, but the, the word is out a little bit on the Bills. And they're struggling with some of the stuff offensively that the Chiefs have struggled with, with the too high. And I have less faith in, faith in Josh Allen getting it together than I do Patrick Mahomes. And I left less faith in, um, wow, I cannot say that phrase, less faith in Brian Dable than I do Andy Reid. And that defense is not, I don't think that that offense, that defense has the potential that the Chiefs does because of the pass, the lack of pass rush. But I can't, I can't sell that stock because she sold it. So, um, no, I bought, I bought stock. Yeah, I but I can't, I can't use the same team. Can't use the same team. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. So, what am I gonna sell? Oh, you know what? I'm selling the Rams. I'm selling the Rams. Here's the reason why. First off, they've had the 25th easiest schedule to date. They've got the third hardest remaining. Second off, I think that they are one of those teams that we've made so much about the trades that they've made the flash that they have, the Matt Stafford. There's so many Matt Stafford apologists who are looking for their narrative to be fulfilled. Robert Woods might be one of the most underrated wide receivers in the National Football League. He is an amazing wide receiver, too. He will get his nose in there and block. He will catch the ball when it comes his way. He will get upfield. He will do all the things that a good wide receiver, too, can do so Cooper Cup can shine. Losing him was a tremendous loss. Whenever you add players into the mix like Odell Beckham Jr., no matter what you think about him off the field, there are there is pressure to get him the ball, to get him in the offense. I'm just not sure that that was a great move. Cool. You added Von Miller to an already good pass rush. I understand that that's similar to like the Melvin Ingram move for sure, but a second and a third for it. Ugh. And then they one of the things is, is that it feels like Sean McVay used to be this guy who was an, a run first offensive coordinator who built all of his offense off the run. But now between losing some running backs and then getting his quarterback, it feels like that's went away. And that creativity is really kind of lost from the offense. The defense is good. Obviously, there's some great players on that defense. But you're still relying on your stars there. And, you know, they've got the number one defensive interior player and Aaron Donald and the number one corner and um, Jalen Ramsey. But I... That's a tough division. They've got a tough schedule ahead of them. I just have this, and also they're, a, you know, a West Coast team that plays in a dome. I don't think that they're going to be playing at home throughout the playoffs. Sure, they might be going to Arizona. They also could be going to Lambeau, where it gets cold. And I, you know, I just don't have a lot of faith in that team. Yeah, and I, I kind of like that take, especially because of Sean McVay and that angle that you took, because. Doesn't he kind of seem like a guy that peaked a little too early in the NFL? Like he took that team with Jared Goff and Todd Gurley to the the NFL championship, the Super Bowl, and they didn't get anything done. And what have they done since besides destroy their cap and destroy their future? Like it, it, it just seems so weird that they are so invested in this year when they're not even leading their division. And I, I know he's supposed to be this wonderkind who can – you know, he, he's basically Andy Reid and John Gruden molded into one guy. But I, I just don't see that. I Who's that? Sam, the 49ers coach, Sean McDermott? Kyle, Kyle, or no, Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan. Yeah. Kyle Shanahan, yeah. Um, dude, I think he's, he kind of has that same reputation as this guy who is just so incredibly good at his job. And he's had one good season. Like, I mean, I, I don't see where they're headed either this year. Vaughn Miller was a was a weird ad I would agree especially because I mean you mentioned it the second and the third round pick but also he's a rental he's this year there, there's no way they have the cap to sign him back 
So not to mention the fact that they gave up a second and a third for him. Then he didn't play the first week because he was kind of coming off an injury slash getting antiquated with the defense. And then they have their bye. So like you, you traded for a player and you already lost two weeks of them. Yep. Yeah. And I don't know how long OBJ is going to be there. Does that make, there, there just seems like they're all in on this year with no plan afterwards. That puts a lot of pressure on the guys there. Like, this is like if the Chiefs went out and wasted all their draft picks signing older, aging veterans that, that played. It's, it's like if we traded a second and a third for Terrell Suggs a few years ago when we won the Super Bowl. It's like, yeah, yeah we won the Super Bowl, but what, what can you do after that? We don't have a first-round pick. Like, we don't, we don't have the first three-round picks. So, yeah, I, I just think it puts a lot of pressure on that team as well, and I don't know what they're I, – I don't know what the rest of the season holds. I don't think it looks good. Absolutely. All right. Well, it's the last thing that we're going to do this week. Um, like I said, we're going to have a lot more kind of a general NFL talk next week. Might talk a little NBA. Might have a guest on. We'll just have to see. Last thing of the week, we are going to talk Turkey Day. I feel like Thanksgiving is, first off, a super underrated holiday. Everyone is so ready to get to Christmas. It's always frustrates me. It's just like you know, you're barely putting away the dishes from Thanksgiving. Everyone's already starting Christmas. They're going Christmas shopping. Everyone's lights and trees are already up. We got to put some respect on Thanksgiving. So what we've got here is we've got, I love these. These are always fun to read on Twitter and see what people go for. We've got build your ultimate Thanksgiving lineup with $20. So it's one of those kind of grid things. So you've got your $5, $4, $3, $2, et cetera, all the way five through one categories here you've got the main course a potato dish side dish one side dish two and dessert and then there's extras that's what i liked about this one you've got some extras you can add gravy for three dollars biscuits for two dollars a cornbread for one so i understand that this is an audio um audio podcast you cannot see what i'm looking at so i'll kind of just describe some of the care some of the categories so in the five dollars whole turkey Mashed potatoes, stuffing, mac and cheese, pumpkin pie. Kind of the classic Thanksgiving plate. $4, ham, sweet potatoes, corn on the cob, Brussels sprouts, and apple pie. Brussels sprouts, super overrated. Three, just white meat on the turkey. Au gratin, I don't know how to spell au gratin, potatoes, you know what I'm talking about. A casserole, squash, cheesecake, which I don't know if there's cheesecake for dessert, but it's okay. $2, just the dark meat of the turkey, roasted potatoes, spinach, cranberries, and pecan pie. $1 category, the bargain bin. Tofurkey, which is like tofu turkey, baked potato, beets, creamed corn, and ca carrot cake. So we've got $20 to spend. I'll let you go first. And the first annual, not just another sports podcast, Turkey Day Draft. What are you taking for your, for your value, Christian? So for the main course, which is what we're talking about, turkey, ham, white meat, dark meat, tofurkey, I think you got to go with the bargain here, and that's just the dark meat. I don't know why dark meat is $2 and just white meat is $3. Like, does anybody in the world like white meat more than dark meat? Dark meat is it's a lot more moist. It melts in your mouth, and it always seems to be the first, I don't know what you'd call that, category of meat that is gone from the turkey. Everybody always takes the legs and the thighs. And if you're last in the line, you got to do, you got to deal with the, the breast of the turkey, which, I mean, say what you want. I, I'd rather be first up. So just the dark meat, $2. That's my pick. What about you? I, I really agree with just the dark meat, but I'm here to tell you. My mother is living proof that you too can make the dark meat too dry. If that white meat's dry, that dark meat can be dry as well. I'm going to open up my pocketbook a little bit more for the ham. I love ham. Every slice of ham is good. All slices of ham are good. So I'm going to go with the ham, the spiral cut, delicious, sweet honey ham. So I've got $4 on my plate with the ham. What about you for the next category? So for the next one, I got to go. It's, it's not very traditional. It's also in the $2 category, the roasted potatoes. Now you throw a little bit of garlic on there. You throw some onion powder. You get it nice and crispy along those edges. Those roasted potatoes are going to taste like the best potatoes. Got a little bit of crunch to them. They're still soft in the middle. Oh my God, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. But $4 total for me with dark meat and roasted potatoes. You know, this is 
this is hard for me because I think one of the things that's the best, this is pretty disgusting, but it's also true. One of the things that's the best about Thanksgiving food is you can kind of just mix it all together and it's all kind of just one delicious, like you get mashed potatoes and stuffing and corn and gravy and macaroni and cheese and the cranberry sauce. You just mix it all together. It's just like this delicious carbohydrate paste. So taking the mashed, like mashed potatoes are like the foundation of that. So again, I'm going to go big or risk it or biscuit. I'm going to take the mashed potatoes. So I'm at $9 with the ham and mashed potatoes. Dude, you are looking like the Rams in this thing, man. You have no financial future. The cap is real in this. I, I Maybe not in the regular NFL, but literally the cap is $20. So I just keep that in mind just you wait. before just you, you wait. mortgage you, your future. Okay. So this is side dish one. I already have dark meat and roasted potatoes. I got to go with corn on the cob, man. Like just a classic. When you, when you look at a picture of the first Thanksgiving, corn is always there. You see the Native Americans. You see the pilgrims coming over. One of them's got a piece of corn on the cob in their hand. So I'm keeping it classic. I'm sticking with one of the OG Thanksgiving foods, corn on the cob. It's a $4 pick. So right now I'm up to $8. So I'm not even halfway through my money yet. All right. Um, so this is very controversial and the nerds will hate me. But I'm actually going to buy $1 beets and just not eat them. Um, because I've got to pick, some, pick something in this category. Um, I do want the stuffing, but I got to save my money for some other things down the road. So I'm just going to buy the beets and not eat them. Grandma's like, oh, take some of my beets. And I'd be like, sure, grandma. And I put like, you know, one of them on my plate to make her feel good. You know, the weird like canned one. So I'll just put it on my plate and not eat it. It happens all the time. You know, you just kind of <laughs> shove it to the side. You, you like a give classic it to the, Thanksgiving move. You give it to the dog and the dog won't even eat it. It's like laying on the floor like, oh, who dropped a beat? Like, oh, I don't know. So um, I'm just going to put that on my plate and not eat it. So I'm at $9 now. Or sorry, I'm at $10 now. Okay. All right. That's an interesting move. It's a it's a weird strategy. But. It's like the equivalent of trading down in the draft, right? Like no one I likes mean, trading down. But until later when you have that value and you're like, oh, but we've got three thirds. You know, I'm trading down. You validate it to yourself however you need to, all right? But for me, listen, I've done that. I, I traded back multiple times. I traded out of the first. Right now, I've got six picks in the third round. With that, all that capital, I'm getting mac and cheese, dude. It's $5. I hate Brussels sprouts. I don't like squash, cranberries. They're okay. And cream corn. I can't have corn on the cob and cream corn. So I'm going to kick it up. I got... Let's see, what was it, $9 or $8? So I have, what is that, 13 $13 spent mac and cheese is on the menu at my place. Okay, well, OBJ and the Rams over there. I'm going to get $1 <laughs> cream corn because I actually like cream corn. Like, other than mac and cheese is probably my favorite thing in this category. So I've got ham, mashed potatoes, beets that I gave to the dog, and cream corn. All that, and the dog got something. And I'm still only on the book for $11. So pretty good, Strat. Pretty good. You dissed it earlier. And, and I was a little disappointed. I held my tongue because I, I didn't want to be disrespectful. But cheesecake is, is better than pumpkin pie. And it's better than apple pie. You get some of that cherry filling on top. Oh, man, dude. That's literally one of my favorite desserts of all time. It's only $3, man. I still got some leftover money. I'm, look at me, saving money. I'm a college kid. I'm used to spending money on a budget. Here we go, dude. So I have, let's see, two, four, eight, thirteen, sixteen dollars $16 total for my, my meal so far. And I'm going to splurge a little bit and get some extras. I got to get the gravy. It's $3. But you know what? We can afford it, man. You know, we, we saved enough throughout this entire picking and choosing that, that I can afford that. And also $1 cornbread, classic Thanksgiving meal, always incredible, put a little butter on it. It's even good if you warm it up in the microwave later. So as far as leftovers go, you know, there's a lot of those. We got cornbread for leftovers. It, it, it's going to be a party at my house for the next four days. That's the thing that's so good about um, leftovers for Thanksgiving is the, uh, they're, they're so good days afterwards. And yep. you can, you can kind of, I'm, I'm all about recreating some things with this, you know, don't just throw the whole plate in there, 
put that put that turkey to good use. You know, make a turkey sandwich, maybe even throw it in a salad. Not, there's been worse things that have happened for sure. Um, so this is where I feel like I really maximize my beets and creamed corn pick. I'm going to go with the Supreme pie. I do love pumpkin pie. I think it gets a bad rap, but I'm going to go with apple pie for $4. Um, delicious America. Yes. And then I'm going to get gravy and biscuits. So I get $5 of extras and I'm all about the sides. So, um, I'm going to pour some gravy over that mashed potatoes and cream corn I've got. So I've got ham, mashed potatoes, beets, cream corn, apple pie, biscuits, and gravy all for $20. And the dog got to eat a beet. A beet. So I, you know, I feel like wow, I came so away. so gracious. I, I feel like I came away in good value there. And if I didn't have to spend that dollar, I would have gotten pumpkin pie. But I had to spend that dollar in the side dish. So that's what I did. But ultimately, I feel like we, we've made a delicious plate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And not only that, like you said, the reheat value on these meals, dude, you're going to be eating good for the next week. Absolutely. Well, guys, as always, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. We hope that you have an excellent Thanksgiving. Enjoy the time with your family. Enjoy the fact that the Chiefs are on a bye week and you can just sit back and watch football, even if you do have to watch the Lions play football, which we do apologize about that. We will be back next week with another edition of the podcast. As always, we're brought to you by Arrowhead Live. Thanks for listening to the podcast and um, have a great Thanksgiving. Yep. See you guys. We are thankful for you. So have a good weekend.